Alan Parsons is a legendary producer and engineer. He is also an acclaimed musician. His perfection and fingerprint are all over some of the greatest albums of our time, from The Beatles' Abbey Road and Let It Be, to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and Atom Heart Mother, and Al Stewart's Year of the Cat. All of this outside of his remarkable work with the Alan Parsons Project on some of the most seminal prog pop albums of all time. Alan Parsons also worked as an engineer with Stephen Wilson on his 2013 album The Raven That Refused to Sing. I caught up with Alan from his home in California to talk about his new album, Live in the Netherlands, the new single, The Neverending Show, and the upcoming Alan Parsons album and live shows in 2022. We chatted about concept albums, his work with Stephen Wilson, and a couple of other interesting projects that he was a part of. They've, they've just opened the borders for international travel, travelers mm-hmm. just yesterday. Uh, I, I fear the worst. I think there's going to be another huge uh, surge in cases. But uh, you know, all we can do is just be careful. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fully vaccinated with a, with a booster shot, so I'm triple vaccinated. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty safe, but my, um, my daughter, Lisa's daughter, is, uh, is quarantining right now. She, she had, a, she had a, a slight case of it. Although she was vaccinated, she, she, got, she got slightly sick and uh, passed it on to her daughter, my granddaughter. So they're both quarantining right now. Yeah, we had a terrible second wave in India. And, uh, um, you know... Hopefully, we won't have anything like that. It was really bad. I hope so. I hope. Yeah. I I'd crossed. heard that India was very bad, yeah. Yeah, That's we it. were really, really badly hit. Um, we didn't, didn't see it coming. And then, you know, we thought we had dodged a bullet after the first wave. We didn't see the second one coming and we got absolutely wiped out. But, you know, things are slowly looking up. So, fingers crossed. Yeah. Anyway, let's dive right in, Alan. So you have a a new DVD that came out um, live in the Netherlands, The NeverEnding Show. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how it came about, why you decided to film that particular show? That was at the end of a European run you were doing in 2019, right? That's right. We... We've always had a terrific uh, response to, uh, and and sold out shows in in Holland, the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought uh, it would be a great idea because it would be virtually a guaranteed packed house that we would that we would uh, film it. Um, we actually filmed uh, two two shows on on that Dutch tour, um, but uh, we we chose what we think is the, is the best show of, of the two. There was one in Amsterdam and one in Utrecht, and um, we, uh, we we recorded that um, as well as obviously the audio was recorded as well as the uh, visuals. It came out great, and um, it was just released last week with a with a new bonus uh, studio track, um, which gives the uh, which gives the record its uh, its title. It's called the Never Ending Show. Mm-hmm. That came out really well. We, uh, it's it's featuring my my son-in-law on, on the on the vocal, mm-hmm. and uh, we shot a we shot a video, of, uh, you know, a, a 
a dedicated music video for that. Uh, at this amazing place in south, it's just south of Los Angeles, where they store a, an enormous array of circus and uh, festival uh, memorabilia. It's, it's an extraordinary place. They, they have such a huge collection of stuff. And we had unlimited access to it, so it was great. So you'll, you'll see. I, I, I assume you still haven't managed to get a copy yet, right? No, I haven't got a copy. I've I've watched a couple of the clips on YouTube. I saw, I did see the music video, though. And I've been, right. I've been, I've been reading about it. Um, but that must be quite a task, right? To put together a live show, finding, you know, the right director and, and all the cameras and budgeting and all of that. That's quite a task, right? It is, but um, the, the, the producers... Um, have been incredible. They 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 uh, not only shot the, the the show, the live shows. Um, they also directed and produced the the music video. So, um, and on top of that, they they've done all the artwork, all the uh, cover up and stuff. So they they've been uh, absolutely a magnificent asset for me. Yeah. So, like you said, the album also you have a new studio track, the Never Ending Show. Uh, with Jordan uh, Jordan Huffman, um, right? So, what can we look forward to in twenty two? I'm guessing you have a new album in the works. Yes, we've um, I've got uh, I've got a band arriving tomorrow uh, to uh, put down some tracks. Um, two of them two of them are coming from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, flying in flying in tomorrow, and uh, three others are coming from from the LA area mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be in the studio uh, for you know pretty much solidly for, for a full week uh, and uh, that that will be followed by a, a period of, of overdubs vocals and what what have you i'm sure and they'll be back again in december to do an, another stint and i'm really hopeful that i can get this album finished by christmas if i can mm-hmm. Is this the same uh, band that you went out on the road with? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, it's not to say that it would be only the the live band appearing on, on the album. I, uh, on the secret, for example, I got you know literally the the band from heaven. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got Nathan East on bass and uh, Vinnie Caliocho on drums. So that was uh, so. I'm 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 going to I'm going to be doing another another uh, orchestral piece uh, with, with those guys uh, so we're we're working on the arrangement for that right now I mean the, not the not the logistic arrangement the, the music the musical arrangement, arrangement. I, I, w- I want to ask yeah. what is how do you go about finding the right person or the right a set of musicians for every album. So whether it's with the Alan Parsons project or what you're doing now, uh, what is that process like? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because the selection of obviously the musicians and the singers kind of give each album its own unique sound and mood and all of that. So what is that process like? Um, it's 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 a good question. Um, we, we've been very lucky um, over the years to to choose keys for the songs that we record in advance of knowing who's actually going to sing them. So we, we, we play, I think we perhaps play a little bit safe with uh, vocal range. Um, I remember one exception was way back on the, on the Eve album. Um, there's a song called Don't, Don't Hold Back. Um, 
we had heard all this, assumed it was going to be a male vocal, and then suddenly we decided to make it a female vocal. And uh, we we brought in Claire Torrey, who's the, the famous voice of yeah. Dark Side of the Moon. And, uh, it, it was just not right for her for her key. So we literally almost rewrote the song <laughs> to be in, in her range. So, uh, but normally, normally we, we're, we're lucky. We, um, we uh, choose a key that, uh, that will suit you know, most singers. If we know for sure that uh, I've got a, a, vocal with an ex- uh, a vocalist with an extended range, then we'll maybe shake it up a, a few steps. But we've been very lucky in that respect. So the new album you spoke about in 22, is it going to be a thematic concept album like The Secret? The Secret also had, uh, like you said, big orchestration and it had a very large uh, sonic scope, right? So w- what is this album going to be like? Um, I'm, I'm hoping that the uh, sonic scope, as you call it, will be uh, pretty much the same. It, there, w- there will definitely be some orchestration, as always. Um, but uh, it, it, it's actually fairly early stages at the moment. We're, we're you know, just considering what songs uh, to record. There, there is a concept, but I'd, I'd, I'd rather keep that a little bit uh, under wraps for the moment, if you don't mind. But, um, you know, from so ob- you're obviously going to be touring with the album. So what can fans expect? in terms of a production with the live show i ask because um, you know i'm wondering how if if for example uh, you know you you go out on tour trying to promote a concept album how do you extend the concept of the al- of that album beyond the parameters of the album itself well it's 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 difficult to do that live of course um, and and we obviously uh, wouldn't play the entire record although <laughs> I remember David Gilmore once uh, released an album and he was touring and he played every song from the album, just literally played yeah. it start to finish. But um, I, th- I think uh, we we don't have that luxury. We've, we've got to play some of the hits. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if we didn't play hits, they, they would not buy tickets. So, <laughs> so it's essentially a, it's a, essentially a hits show. Yeah. But we will definitely be playing uh, songs from the from the new album. Uh, we don't we don't actually go abroad. Uh, we don't go outside America until uh, February. So uh, the first the first shows on the calendar are in Florida and uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, North Carolina, um, all, all in January. Fingers crossed that uh, you know that we're able to do those shows without. Uh, without any fear for the virus so yeah uh and uh, yeah then um th- this tour is is being branded the anniver- the turn of a friendly card anniversary tour so um we'll be playing several songs from 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 that album including the the piece itself the, the turn of a friendly card which is a, you know a, a sort of uh, yeah five or six song meddling We'll be playing that. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you prefer to play live or do you prefer to work in the studio, um, Alan? I'm um, I'm usually more comfortable in the studio because that's you know that was that's that was my growing up 
activity. That's what I what I started doing. Uh, playing live didn't happen way into my career in the in the mid nineties. Yeah. So uh, I'm 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 definitely uh, I I feel I'm also more talented in the studio than I am on stage. Uh, so uh, very, uh, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think Sorry. the uh, the Alan Parsons project itself would have been bigger in a sense if you had started playing live earlier? Oh, without a doubt, um, we we could have we could have become a a, a stadium act. Literally, um, we uh, you know we had. Uh, top five albums in, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, had we assembled a band, uh, particularly with uh, a symphony orchestra, I think it could have been huge. But for some re- for one reason or another, Eric Eric didn't feel the need to uh, to play live. And, and my role would have been a little a little odd as, as a as a studio producer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we did do one show in, in uh, in Antwerp, at the uh, at an event called the Night of the Proms, where for most of the show I was actually at at the console, you know, t- talking to the audience, introducing the songs from from the console. But that soon got uh, soon wore very thin, and the, and the the audience just simply weren't look interested in looking at me at the soundboard. They they just wanted to see what was going on on stage, and uh, as the uh, as the final songs uh, got played, I, I w- would leave the console and hit the stage and pick up a guitar and play. Uh, but um, that 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 format was very short-lived. And uh, when we when we started playing uh, live for real in, in the mid '90s, uh, with with Ian Benson, Stuart Elliott, Andrew Powell, all, all people I'd worked with on the Alan Parsons projects in the past, we we, we put a band together, made an album, um, and toured for the first time starting in germany so i remember how um how inspired were you by you know pink floyd in the early days and then roger waters uh, before you started doing these uh, concept um albums um, alan or for that matter how inspired were you by film and books um you know to to put out these kind of concept albums the, the concepts um, generally always came from from Eric. They were always his idea. I mean, he tells tells a mystery. Uh, at, at the Edgar Allan Poe, the first the first uh, APP album was definitely his brainchild. He uh, he had uh, read Poe's work extensively, and uh, somewhat. Uh, Somewhat funnily, he, he also studied uh, marketing uh, at college, and uh, mm-hmm. he had uh, he had learned through that through that college course that uh, no movie based on an Edgar Allan Poe story had ever lost money. So he thought uh, applying his work to music should achieve a similar result. So that's yeah. that's what we did. But uh, I loved Poe too. I I I. I read it extensively at school uh, everybody likes a good horror story you know <laughs> it's 
it's it, it, it's it's good. Yeah. And uh, I think it it was a, a nice, it, it was a great a great subject to to base songs upon. Yeah. And Eric actually made a follow up on, on his own in in later years uh, for for a show at at Abbey Road, which I wasn't yeah. involved with. Yeah, and and like you're saying, I guess it had never been done before, so uh, uh, made sense. But I I want to ask, how do you um you know in a in an era that we live in today, where music is very commoditized, and we live essentially in an era of singles and things like that, how do you make music relevant for a modern audience, right? Without losing your core sound, how do you kind of walk that line? Um, I'm. I'm kind of a, a stickler for not following trends. Um, you know, my, my my sound, you know, was uh, was created in 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 the seventies, and I don't really think it's it's necessary to change that sound. Uh, I mean, there are fashions in uh, in in drum sounds, for example. Um, there was a period where drum sounds used uh, a lot of electronic drums. During a certain period in the in the uh, in the eighties, but um, no, I've never I've never felt the need to follow trends or follow fashions. So um, I'm going to continue the, to record the way I always do. You know, band in the studio. Uh, I mean, it's not as if I ignore technology. I mean, I I, I make uh, a reasonable amount of use of, of, of synthesizers and uh, sequences. And, of course, everything is recorded these days to hard disk, but the, but the basic principle of the way I work has, has really not changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was reading uh, an interview with Stephen Wilson, I think, when you just uh, around the time that you worked with him and he spoke about, uh, uh, you know, how he wanted to recreate the, the essentially the warmth of an analog recording, um, right? Or a 70s sound, I think he called it uh, uh, then. Um, so, do you think that's still possible today, with technology and all of that, to kind of recreate? Well, I think I think we I think we I think we succeeded admirably in, in achieving what he wanted uh, for that for that album, the, the Raven that refused to sing. Yeah, um, he's he's a, he's an incredible talent, <laughs> and uh, it, it was um, a big honor for me because he's such a talented engineer as well and producer as well, yeah. for him to make the call to me and bring me in to work with him was uh, it was a, a great privilege really was yeah but but uh, tell me alan in a lot of these collaborations how much creative control do you have you know whether it was pink floyd in the early days or stephen wilson now i know the roles your role itself might have been a, obviously different but how much creative control do you have where you can influence the sound of final output um I mean, I you know the, the the technology as you see fit. You know, uh, equalization, compression, uh, echo effects, delay effects, and so on and so. On. So you, you just you just do that and 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 hope that uh, the artist or the, the people you're working with will will agree with you. I mean, it, of course, they have the right to say no. We don't like that very much. Or, yeah, yeah. But generally speaking. Um, as a producer, as opposed to an engineer, as a producer, you have much greater control, and, and that's the way it should be. There's, there's got to be one, 
one boss. There can't be, you can't have uh, too many bosses, otherwise it would just be chaotic. Yeah. So uh, for um, for the Alan Parsons project and for all the albums since that have had my name on them, I, I've been the producer and therefore the you know the main the main production force behind them all. Yeah, yeah. You don't do a lot of engineering work now, right? You don't. Um... Um, not not exclusively as an engineer. No, I'm 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 more likely to uh, seek a at least a co-production credit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what happened with Stephen. Yeah, because I saw that Porcupine Tree are back and they put out a new single. So I was actually hoping that you might end up working with them. I'm just waiting for the phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, uh, like I said, he's an incredibly talented guy. And uh, we uh, we actually did an, an interview together um, to uh, promote the last album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also to to promote a uh, hi-fi uh, convention in in Munich in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, which sadly has been cancelled twice now because of COVID. I want to ask you about a project that you were involved with many years ago. Uh, it was with a band called the Subclones. Right. Uh, um, that was just a. Basically, a just a, a Parsons uh, spin-off and and a spin-off for for P.J. Olsen, the the singer uh, mm -hmm. in the band. Um, it was a, a duo, uh, and uh, it was short-lived. Um, they uh, they they had uh, financial backing from a, a guy who sadly withdrew from uh, from supporting them. So. The subclones was a very short-lived uh, exercise, sadly. Yeah, because there was a lot of intrigue around it, right? I think they were all masked. Nobody knew who they were, and they yes. they, they had a they had a great message. I think it was um, it was you know hope for a turbulent world or something like that. So yeah, yeah. No, it's it's sad that they didn't, uh, you know, because uh, uh, what's the name of the other duo <laughs> that wear that wear the helmets? I, I'm just can't think of their name right. Now. Uh, Dark you know, dark. I mean, but it's a bit dark, I guess. But I think uh, they actually preceded Daft Punk, <laughs> and they could they could have been Daft Punk had had they uh, yeah had the support that they needed been uh, been given. But uh, yeah. sadly, uh, sadly, that wasn't wasn't to be. But it was it was fun to work with those guys. They were they were you know, really really de determined uh, to to make it. Uh, like I said, their uh, their support was withdrawn. Their financial support was withdrawn, and they were unable mm -hmm. to sustain it. Yeah, it was quite a fascinating project. There was also an Alan Parsons album. I'm not sure if it came out called The Sicilian Defense. It did come out as part of a CD box set um, in order to uh, give hardcore fans uh, the. Uh, the advantage of, of, of knowing that they had everything we'd ever recorded at Salem Passage Club. It was never intended uh, to be uh, commercially released as far as I was concerned, mm -hmm. but the label were very insistent and said, well, we know it's a bit rough at the edges, but we should, we would like to include it. So that's what they did. They included it. The, the Sicilian defense is actually a, a series of chess moves. Chess moves. Yeah. Yeah. 
and Eric Wilson was a a big uh, a very a very skilled chess player. Yeah. I played it several times and could never win. <laughs> <laughs> I think what fascinated uh, me even more was the I saw the track listing and they were all basically chess moves. They were I think positions on the board. Yes, right. Exactly, yeah. But um yes, I mean it it was it's what I, what I would call a contractual obligation album. Yeah, <laughs> really, really wasn't intended to be to be released. Yeah, but last question, Alan. This is from you know a studio I do a lot of work with here, and they're all massive fans of your work. They wanted me to ask you what advice do you have for upcoming engineers? Uh, the. the hard fact of the matter is that commercial studios are uh, dwindling away i mean there's 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 studios commercial studios closing literally every every month which is terribly sad um engineers uh are, are now expected to be able to uh record in in the box through a computer and, um, i i still encourage collaboration despite the fact that, uh, that that can sometimes be difficult. But um, the, I think the, the, probably the future, if, if, if people want to be uh, you know, audio engineers, is to, is to look outside the box, look out, look out into television, uh, theatrical, theatrical situations, theatres, mm -hmm. uh, movies. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of room for engineers outside the normal realm of, of a recording studio because you know jobs in a recording studio are are dwindling as i said yeah if you're if you're good at what you do you will always shine through yeah talent talented people will ultimately uh, get the get the top jobs yeah but how how important is uh, so-called engineering technique, um, Alan, in in the in just in the times that we live in, everything is digital, right? Um, te technique is 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 learned through experience. I I'm rather pleased that uh, I've managed to impart some of the knowledge from my past in in a video series, which we call the art yeah. the art and science of sound recording. Um, so uh, that makes me, makes me feel good. Like I said, uh, just just uh, perseverance, and, uh, the will to be the best at what you do is is tr tremendously important. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Alan, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute. Most welcome, Most welcome, and good luck with this. That's it for this week's episode of Tales from the Road. Tales from the Road is brought to you by the Concert Photographer and Moving Pictures Media. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Google Play. Thank you for listening.